All right, this is uh, Yippie Kaye Mother Podcast, September 13th, 2022. And a big death. There is a big death. We will talk about that. Yeah, Ken Starr. I try to give that guy lice. You wouldn't get the Star Trek autographs, but we you would try to give Ken Starr lice. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, here we go. And in three, two, one. Yippie Kaye Mother Welcome to Yippie Kaye Mother Podcast Classic. I'm Ralph Quattrucci. I'm Sean Paul Murphy. I'm Deborah Murphy. I'm John Quattrucci. I'm Chris Coker. And I'm going to open with an apology. There's something that I forgot to say last week. I made a list of all the things I liked about One from the Heart, and there was only one entry on it. But there was one other thing I really liked, and that is the performance by Rebecca De Mornay. It's a small scene, but I really believed her as an aggrieved customer, and I found that there was more emotional truth in her, you know, few moments in the film than the rest of that piece of garbage. So well, please I, accept my apology. Well, Drew, you're really milking that one from the yes. heart. Huh? I'm letting you know that I, <laughs> I received the Japanese import of that movie, and it's the longer version. You which one, you guys need oh Which version? God. I'm not going to say it again. Okay. Uh, it's the longer just, version, and I think it fills in a lot Japan. of the holes that you guys might have missed. But uh, yes, oh, Rebecca yeah, DeMorne was, was quite uh Wasn't that quite her first good. film? Yeah. In all, in all honesty, Ralph, because, you know, I was lukewarm about the film, but I was fascinated by Do you think whatever it is they added really helped the movie? No. Not one bit. Okay. He no, loved the movie like, anyway, so more yeah, of it would be even better. It's like the extended cut of the of the counselor. It doesn't matter. I loved every scene uh before and after I saw the extended cut. I'd like to that's like, a great it did, movie. It fleshed out a lot more of the um the scene with the friend. The plot? No, not really, but oh. just the scene with the friend Mo, I think was his name. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Um fleshed out also a couple of from those the heart. things. Uh but and well, you know. And I well, because uh, to me, what? I haven't seen The Godfather Coda, but I think someone here on the podcast has said they'd seen, you know, it's The Godfather 3, the re-edit, and they say the film is substantially better. I haven't seen it. I heard that. Uh, it I heard was. That. I, I saw it. I, it, it was better. I still don't think it's, it's not a good film, but it's better than the theatrical version. Things are fleshed out a little bit more. It recently played at the Senator Theater here, but I missed it. Oh, the, what, the three did? Yeah, the three. three. Oh. I like three. I mean, it wasn't nearly as good was, as the other two. Well, I mean, on its own, it probably would have been okay. But when you compare it to the other two, there's just it just wasn't good. Sofia Coppola was awful. Yeah. Andy Garcia was great. I liked him. All right. Before we move on to what you watch, we must express condolences for film director Jean-Luc Godard who passed away at 91. Um, I don't think we can really do it on Cue It Up because I don't know any like weird things. I know one. I know him. Breathless. Sure that's it. He's, he's French, so there's probably a lot of weird stuff yeah. we could bring up. But uh, no, um, you know, director 91. Breathless. I didn't know he was a critic before he was a director. Yeah. But I guess he yeah. Oh, yeah. Him. He was um, cashier with the cinema or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Well-renowned well, critic, actually. Yeah. He's one of the fathers of the all-tour theory, that yeah. the director. And he changed, he changed cinema for a lot of people. I mean, he, uh, you know, and, and same as the director we're going to talk about tonight, today on the, uh, the other half. There's a big difference between Kurosawa and Godard. Uh, other than one's French. Yeah. And one's Japanese and one is good 
and one was bad. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. When I was in film school, we watched a couple Godard films, starting off, of course, with Breathless. And I just I just didn't like them. I wow. want to see Alphaville. That's about the only film of his that I haven't seen. Did I want to see? And I think what, what style was what style was he as a director? I mean, what style was he? Well, he's he invented he was his new own wave, style. Which, which meant new wave. Is that what it was? was mistakes. Just shoot, was, yeah, shoot what you want. Use a use a, uh, a shopping cart to push handheld jump. A lot cuts. of guerrilla filmmaking, just getting catch as catch can. Yeah, uh, and I mean, we almost never. I had some it. true Godard fans in my class. That, Someone was always hanging up, um, the late uh, Tom Brando, who was later the head of a film department. True film is truth at 24 frames a second. You know, every, and here's something Godard said, Ralph, I'm sure you would agree with. Every edit is a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So. Chris, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say one of the things that they did a lot of was like they didn't shoot with sound. They almost all of their stuff was completely. Because they shot literally on street corners, because they shot in – it was not a controlled environment in any way. Um, a lot of times, like Ralph mentioned, they were guerrilla shooting without permits, whatever. Um, so a lot of times they just – all of the sound was put in later uh, just to make it – you know, one – you know, one of his films that I – it's probably my favorite of his films. And it's – is a Band of Outsiders, if you've ever seen that. That's it's a really it's a more accessible one of his films I think um, I think it's better than Breathless mostly because it doesn't have like a twenty minute sequence where they're just sitting in bed talking to each other <laughs> but okay. like I mean I like Breathless a lot but even at one point I was like okay I, I get it but that's that's a really long scene but that's terrible I mean that's terrible news he's truly a yeah. a, a unique um, talent in cinema that's I take nothing although I don't like his films at least the ones I've seen. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge that he was groundbreaking filmmaker, and it yeah. was a monstrously huge influence, particularly on Europeans. And a lot of Europeans, perhaps because of him, did what you were saying. Like I think Pasolini, the Italian director, hardly ever, if ever, shot with sound. Mm -hmm. And also, too, there was always the expectation that they were going to be dubbing those films mm -hmm. as well. So why well, spend that's how the, the Italians shot all their? You know, we did that with our westerns that we did. Yeah. Nobody. My name is Nobody, which is getting well, but if, tons of hits, by if, the way. I don't get, but if if you're Pasolini, you probably think I don't think I can use location sound to really capture the sound of people eating poop, and you want to do that in the studio. Otherwise, Salo, 120 Days of Sodom, is not the movie that it is today. Which is well, there's a lot of poop in it. Hey, I haven't seen that one. That might be another good one for our series. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, so you've never seen that one? Oh, I haven't seen that. He's got the next film. Film. Maybe he just picked that one. That one. Oh, oh, oh. I've already seen it. I'm sorry, I can't. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's do a round of what you watch, and we'll start with Chris. Oh, um, I watched a couple oh. of things. Sorry, I watched a couple of things. Uh, uh, finished off a uh, Hawkeye on Disney Plus. I'm kind of going backwards in the in the Disney Plus thing. I'm. Started with She-Hulk and going She-Hulk, which by the way continues to be fantastic. Highly recommended. Uh, finished off um, Hawkeye. Enjoyed it. Uh, it it really follows. Once again, it takes a particular group of comic books themselves. It came out about a decade ago. Takes a different look at Hawkeye and kind of brings that flavor into the Marvel universe 
cinematic universe. Uh, it's okay. But what I really wanted to talk about was real quick is um, I saw Licorice Pizza. It's on um, oh. the new Paul Thomas or new Paul Thomas Anderson film. Uh, oh, I was wondering about that. That one I'd like to see. Came out last Christmas. Well, it's on Amazon Prime. So if you happen to have that service, it is uh, no extra money for you. Um, I enjoyed it, but it did not blow me away. I really thought it was going to be really great. I, I saw so many great reviews, and it seemed to get a lot of good press. Uh, a number of it. Oscar nominations. And Oscar noms, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I really enjoyed I mean, I enjoyed it, but I was really expecting – you know how sometimes when you're really expecting something to knock you out, and it only – you only enjoy it. That was kind of where it was. I think part of it had to do with the, um, the young lady who played the lead, uh, the female lead. Um, From Haim, yeah. Yeah. They were going on and on. Everything I read about was like her amazing performance and everything. And while she's a great actress, she's very good. Good. I just didn't find her quite as charming as everybody found her, or at least everybody else who watched the film found her. Not to say that she wasn't charming, not to say that she didn't do a good job, but I just wasn't like... I wasn't won over quite as much as as some as everyone else seemed to be. And when I say everyone else, everyone who was saying positive things about the movie. So, but but it's was, worth your time. It's worth the two hour runtime uh, overall, especially if you've liked some of um, his other other films, Paul Thomas Anderson's other films. And it's got an absolutely terrific soundtrack. So can that, you give us a ten second synopsis? What's it about? I don't even know. Oh what yeah. It's about. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. It's about a young kid who is a burgeoning child actor, kind of a teen actor. He's been on a couple of different things, had a little bit of success, who uh, becomes enamored with a somewhat slightly older woman uh, in her 20s while he's in his teens um, and their relationship. And he is like this super go-getter actor, business entrepreneur, while she's kind of this somewhat uh, a rudderless 20-something, still living at home with her parents, um, along with her sisters and, and her, you know, her parents and stuff. Well, and Who, Bradley All Cooper of her family is played by her family, too, in real yeah. life. So. And it's oh. like Hollywood in the 70s, right? Yes, it's totally 70s, by the yeah, way. Yeah, because Bradley <laughs> Cooper plays the John John Peters, who was married to Barbara Streisand. And this yeah, there's some really great... There's some really great... Water beds or something to him, and yeah. 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 John Peters is the only one, I think, that they that they actually name. Like, there's another guy named john holden and i'm like it, i'm pretty sure it's supposed to be william holden and like there's some pretty great stuff that's pretty clever sean, you know, is sean penn in that as well sean Penn. sean penn plays john holden okay. who i think is supposed okay. to be william holden. william holden around the time in the 70s do some film where he was a middle-aged older guy who has like an affair with like an 18 year old girl i forgot what it was called he was in towering oh. inferno wasn't he well network he was with uh, yeah. uh faye dunaway was much younger than him in that movie yeah, she was yeah, much younger. She was an adult yeah. Yeah. well but she was still a lot younger uh, than him and chris you also went and saw a movie i thought you were going to see seven samurai but you saw something no else i did go see the heroic trio uh ah. I did that's a movie that strange isn't it we have hey, yeah it was a movie we'll put the link down below and so I saw the heroic trio in the theater. It was very, uh, I was very excited for it. And, um, it's strangely enough, I was a little let down. Um, I like Johnny toe. Um, I was a little let down, but the funny thing was is so I watched the movie strange episode on it. And a couple of people on the movie strange episode mentioned how they saw the dub and they, 
that they watched the sub and it felt a little flat, but when they watched the dub, they had a fantastic time. This was the sub. So I'm thinking maybe Subtitles. I need to track down the dub as yeah. well. So I thought that made the whole thing worthwhile. You saw the dub version and you yeah. liked the dub and version? And I now? normally hate that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. this one, I decided to give it a try, and I just thought the voices they picked and the way they did the acting was terrific. It wasn't like Speed Racer where one person does all the voices? No. Okay. I don't know who was it did Chris, was it the extended cut? I don't think so. It was only about an hour and 25 minutes long, so I can't imagine that's the extended mm. version. Were there babies was it, being That's the credits for this movie. That's killed. Yeah, Ralph said, <laughs> was there a scene where babies are eating human body parts and they have to be killed by explosives? Yes, yes, that's in there. Okay, then you saw the full version. Okay, good, good, good yes. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There was like, I mean, the action was great. Of course, Michelle Yao, Maggie Chung, who... Maybe the prettiest woman on the planet, in my opinion. Uh, After Debbie. He's a real Irma Vep. Yeah. And, yeah, I love Irma Vep. And part of that's – anyway, I don't want to get too off into it. But, uh, Very good. I like Very the good out of a solo cup. I love it. Very good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Debbie, and Sh- Debbie and Sean, what did you watch? Well, uh, first I want to say, you know how Chris has been saying he's been seeing things slightly disappointed. Well, it wasn't a movie, but Debbie and I went last Tuesday where we didn't do this show – and saw Ringo and the All-Star Band. Yeah. And I got to say, we were not disappointed. Awesome. I heard uh, the hell of a were, show. The reviews yes. are huge. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 It was beautiful. And the music was just like you heard it for the first time, you know? Nice. Yeah. How old is Ringo Starr? 82, I believe. Oh, wow. And he That's... asked this really funny, funny question to the audience. He said, are there any young girls in the audience? And I was like, <laughs> Wait a minute. He's 80. Of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone under 50 is young. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it, you know, it was a great all-star band, Edgar Winter. Dun, so, of dun, course, dun, they dun, played dun, Frankenstein dun, dun, dun. and Free Ride and um, the guy um, from Colin Hay from um, He's Great Work. So we did – they did three of those songs. Oh, of nice. course, Steve Luthiker, so all the Toto greatest. Beautiful it, It's like the best – it's like the best cover band in the world, but it's with the real people, yeah. you know. And I got to say, I had a really emotional experience because um, I think the third song he did was a throwaway from a Beatles album called, um, you know, What Goes On. It was from Rubber Soul. What Goes On, you know, on the album, it was definitely a throwaway. But they did a really terrific job with it. And I'm like, wow, this is a really great song. And then it just hit me that... Oh my God. And it's being sung by a guy who actually sung it. And he was on all those great albums. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of like, you know, I don't want to get too secular religious, but to me, if when it comes to modern music, those are like sacred documents to me, you know, the Beatles albums. And there he was, Ringo, who was on them. So it was an amazing time. And unlike Paul McCartney, who's like doing a rock show and it's, it's important. He's trying to do this. When you go to see Ringo, it's more of a party band. It's more of a party atmosphere. You're there to have fun. You're not there to be in awe. He's not trying, you know, they're trying to knock your socks off, but they're not, you know, they're, they're not pretentious about it. And there's, you can tell there's a lot of love in the band. They they're all, all joking Ringo. and they all love Ringo and they're, they're all joking around. And, um, so you're saying it's, it's like a Jimmy Buffett concert, except the music is good. That exactly that. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Yes. Well, okay, big question. Big question. Was Barbara Bach was Barbara Bach there? 
Um, no, she's I didn't convalescing. see it. She's but Ringo she can is? still do jumping jacks. At one yeah. point, he starts doing well, jumping jacks. And he I, took off his sort of jacket and showed his muscles. Oh, my gosh, she's got some guns. He is a drummer. Sex drugs um, and rock and roll. What are you going to do? 82. Look at these. And I do want to say we were starting because other than Godard, there was another notable death since we've been away. Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. Who has appeared as at least a character in so many movies. So <laughs> Debbie just started watching The Crown, which so far so good. That's a good show. Yeah. Well, yeah I wish there was video that. of like, like the, the actual Debbie people face. watching The Crown, but I don't think they admitted that they watched it or not. But oh, that, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Debbie, you did. I'd love to hear it. a commentary track by somebody. Right? Debbie, do you like The Crown so far? Yes. Okay. Thank you. For Do you that. want to elaborate on that at all? I think. Well, you know, since uh, she was in our lifetime, and uh, it's just strange how they're, they they live in a in a fishbowl, but you know they really don't have normal lives. It's you call all, this normal? Not really. And and she started at twenty. I think she was twenty five. Probably thinking that you know when I'm when I'm sixty or seventy, I'll be queen. And she ends up queen at 25, and your life is in a fishbowl for the rest of your life. And and what everyone says about it, and I'm you know I'm not big in her royalty, but um, she didn't seem to make any mistakes. Like, like she yeah. didn't wade into things that she shouldn't wade into. She seemed like a very classy lady. The people really loved her, and it was sad. I mean, listen, she lived a full and wonderful life, so you can't you know you can't say well. Well, it's oper- oper- opposite of what we do here. We try to. What I see is. Most people want to live a real life. You know, they want to find reality and find their existence in their, in reality. But uh, but you're my reality. But she, you know, when you see, I mean, you know, all the shows about her, you you saw she had a great sense of humor. And, you know, when she was with the, all the different presidents, she was funny. And she did that thing with Paddington Bear that was, that was really quite a beautiful thing. So, you know, she was about as progressive as you could be being the queen of England. Well, but, didn't uh, she visit the set of Game of Thrones? And they tried to, they asked her if she would sit on the Iron Throne, and she wouldn't Oh, do I don't it. know. Listen, <laughs> all I know familiar, would have been a yeah. great... Yeah, I mean, for me, the biggest thing was after 9-11, she had the Royal Guard play the national anthem to show solidarity with the United States. I mean, that was totally against protocol, yeah. and she did it. So she's, she's a great ally of this country, and it's sad. It's sad that she's gone. Well, I read a statistic. I, I, I don't know if it's accurate mathematically, but it was something like once every six days, there's an independence day of a country that threw off European colonialism. And a lot of them are former British colonies during her reign from the forties through the sixties. So she actually presided over the end of the British empire, which was one of those things that defined the world for, I don't know, a hundred years, 200 years. So she is really someone that lived across, you know, modern history in a way that few people have. And it's really, it's, it's interesting seeing all the stuff about her. Cause I also, I mean, it seems like she treated her daughter-in-law Diana like crap, but she wasn't the only one in the family that did that. Yeah. But she, she's one of those things. Like I have no, love for monarchy or, or think it's a something worth paying for but she has been a symbol to help people you know in times of trouble like during the blitz and things like that yeah. so it's was, it was interesting to watch some of that coverage this week yeah and and she was great in the naked gun movie i mean just yeah. loved her in that yeah, she was when she threw that she pitch was. all right enough about the queen enough all right about the queen. okay john what'd you watch ralph you're going to be thrilled okay because last night 
I had nothing to watch and I'm looking, I'm looking on TCM and what leaps out at me? 1971's Get Carter, starring Michael Caine, directed by Mike Hodges. Never seen it before. I read the synopsis of it. I said, you know, I love Michael Caine. I said, I'm going to watch this movie and see what it's like. It was gritty. I'm sure, Ralph, do you, have you seen it, Ralph? Yeah. You love the grittiness of yeah, it, right? No, it's great. But it was, uh, it was like real life criminals. You know, they didn't, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what they wanted to do. I, I predicted the ending. Once a certain scene happened, I knew what was going to happen at the end. But I will still say the timing of it was a little bit shocking to me at the end of the movie. Um, but I really liked it. It was brutal. Um, Britt Eklund was naked, halfway naked, which was interesting. Um, Ralph, you probably liked that, right? Yeah, but Michael Caine was great. Michael Caine yeah, was Michael great. Michael Caine uh, is fantastic. I really and, love um, the movie. There's a lot of movies that are remakes of that. Not remakes, but... Yeah, well, they've movies. remade it with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Get well, they did that, but I also think the um, Point Blank is kind of like that, and even the... Uh, they remade uh, that. Point with Blank was made before this. Was it? Well, well with, then... With Lee Marvin. Uh, the Stallone, but I'm thinking about um, Mel Gibson's movie, the Payback. Uh, Payback, but that That's was fun. based on Point Blank, so that was. Before I know, this. but okay, then I'm mixing them up. Okay, you I'm are. Sorry. Get okay. Carter. They remade with Sylvester Stallone, but they had a happy ending. So, which, 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 this movie that, that I really like the ending. Um, like Deshaun Watson's happy ending, or like a happy. Yeah. Ending? <laughs> anyway, oh. I thought you'd be thrilled that I picked a movie from the early seventies. I am thrilled. I, you should watch. I really enjoyed it. I really naturalistic acting is what it's all about. Just like yeah. um, places in the heart. All right, Drew. So um, oh, I'm going to surprise you. I'm only going to talk about one thing. And it's a show that a lot of people, come on, Kitty. A lot of people recommended that it was really fun. Uh, it's called Echoes. It's on Netflix. It stars Michelle Monaghan uh, as twins. I really like her a lot. Me I like too, her in, in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, oh, Source Code, uh, Gone Baby Gone, Mission Impossible Three. She's just uh, she Venom and Mission Impossible Four, Five, and Six. She's fun in Venom. She's just she's just really great. And so this movie, this movie, this show is. I don't like voiceover. I, I feel like voiceover is often um, not trusting the audience or just lazy writing. It doesn't mean it never works, and there's different things that work, but. This, uh, this thing, you've got, um, Michelle Monaghan is this character who is coming home to her family and she's a twin sister and her twin is missing. That's the premise of the show. Everything about the show is bad. It's not incompetent, but like every, every choice of, you know, how performances, how they act, the, the editing, even how shots are framed. I just spent the whole time going, what, what, like, what happened? Who thinks this is good? This is terrible. Again, not incompetent. You're not watching the room. You're just watching professional people make really weird decisions. And then they would have many, many scenes where you would see a scene, which was repeated anyway. And in the scene, someone would say something like, um, you know, where's your sister? What is she up to? And then it would cut to Michelle Monaghan and she'd just be going like, and then the voiceover would be, what is my sister up to? I don't know what she's up to. And I just felt like, like, what's the point? It was really annoying. It would be like, like if I was doing this podcast and I said, I, I'm just going to do John's face when he's listening to me and he's just like, this kind of thing. But I also could say like, well, is Drew really going to talk about only one thing? Is he ever going to say his name, you know, at the beginning of the show? Like you'd say, yeah, I get that. That's all sort of out there. And I was hoping for trash and it was garbage. 
um, which is a lot less fun than trash. And it's getting some buzz from people that say it's really fun, but they're wrong. Well, this is a series or a movie? It's a series on Netflix called Echoes. And you I made it through one and a half episodes. Oh, okay. There were lots and lots of twists uh, already in those, which I didn't care about. So I, I can't recommend it. And how many episodes make it is through. it? I, I don't know. Eight, You're not even 50, gonna... <laughs> 600. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It was, I'd rather wow. watch more of that than one from the heart, just to be clear. But, um, it was not good. It was not good at all. Poor so one from the heart, I was, man. I was disappointed for my in the heart. My favorite yeah, episode, my favorite episode was everybody ripping me about the counselor. I don't care. I like being the, yeah, the that's only a great one. film. So yeah, they were well, all wrong. I guess. True. Do you really believe that? I think that movie is not a good movie, but it's I love it. Not good at all. Yeah. It had, it's so entertaining. It is the best sex and car movie. It's one of them. It's no. better than the scene in the One from the Heart where she dances on the car in the junkyard. That's for sure. So, Well, Crash had a few car sex scenes that were pretty good. That's not more the, sophisticated. Not the one that won the Oscar, the other one. Yeah, the, the love good one. one, too. The love All right. Great um, I didn't want to watch too many things because I had to dive into this three-hour and 47-minute movie that we're going to talk about 27 right now. 27 minutes. 27? Three hours. He didn't watch the short version. No, I did not. <laughs> he watched I, I watched, I watched uh, again... I had a hard time tracking down this Blu-ray, which I've been trying to get for a while. I had to pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> uh, a Democrat's Wet Dream called The Contender, directed by Rob Laurie, starring Jeff Bridges as a president and Joan Allen as a as, uh, vice presidential nominee. Is that and hard was, to find, really? It was difficult to get. Yeah, huh. it's like what on laser I mean, disc it's out normal? there, but it's expensive. It's not cheap. No, Blu-ray. Did you have to get it from Japan? or? I think I got it from Australia, actually. It's an import. Nice. I just got an Australian Blu-ray, too. It's yeah. exciting when you find them. Um, so it had a director's track, and I got to listen to that guy pontificate all day long, Rob Laurie, who I guess used to work in newspapers or entertainment. Um, he might have written some for the West Wing, too. I'm not sure. It has that vibe for sure. Anyway, it's definitely a lefty's, you know, uh, Shangri-La. And it's very prescient to to uh, to uh, bring up a term. It's, it's Some of the themes that they were hitting in 2000 are pretty relevant today. And I just love Jeff Bridges as the president. He did such a good take on being mm -hmm. this food loving kind of cool dude. And Paul Newman, I found out, was supposed to, was offered the role first. They were going to go for an older president and Paul Newman didn't want to do it. And then uh, I think they even went after Gregory Peck, who turned it down as well. And then 2000? I think so. Maybe Gregory wow. Peck. I think that might have been the name. Uh, and uh, anyway, luckily they landed on Jeff Bridges and I just, I just love it. Who's him. great in anything he does. Yeah. He was great. Uh, he was, and he was bowling in this one, which was funny too, compared to, you know, cause he, I think Lebowski was before this. So it was fantastic. Well, Rod, Rod Laurie is one of those guys that he was a, a very well known, I don't know if you think he's good or not, but he was a well known movie critic who then actually became somebody who made movies, which has happened. And Roger Ebert has, you know, one or two good Russ Meyer titles to his name. Oh, but I'm he sorry. did, uh, he did The Contender. He also did that Robert Redford military prison movie. Uh, the castle, something. Oh, the last castle. With, uh, last, yeah, the last castle. castle. Yeah. yeah. I with think James Gandolfini. Right. James Gandolfini. Yeah. And interesting because James Gandolfini was definitely against type. He was like really, you know, insecure and, and, yeah. and almost wimpy, even he though was he's good this big He's actually guy. pretty good. Yeah. I, Rod Laurie, I think, gets good performances out of actors with scripts that could be better, but the contender was kind of fun. And I, I, I love Joan Allen. I'll watch her. Well, anything. from a technical, we're going to talk about. Uh, the seven Didn't she get a nomination for being a contender? 
Joan Which, Allen? I don't think she uh, did. Maybe. I don't remember. I don't if she didn't she, get one she, for Death Race, uh, you know, I don't she know. She might what the have been nominated. Is. I don't know. She didn't get it for Face Off either. She deserved that one too because <laughs> exactly. that, was, that was very confusing for her. But technically, there were a lot of scenes that they had to do in one take that they had originally planned to, to do multiple takes on and use the Steadicam uh, to get scenes that would happen. There's specifically a scene where um, who's. Uh, Who's the guy in True Romance, the young actor? What's his name? Brad Pitt? No. Woody Harrelson? No, the star of True Romance. Tom Arnold? Oh, oh my Christian God. Slater. Christian Arnold. Slater. Is Christian also Slater. There's and, a scene oh, where... True Romance. Yes, there's a scene no, where Christian Slater... Oh, oh, True Romance. I was thinking True say? Lies. Did I say True Lies? I thought you said no, True you Lies. Said you true said, you said one from the heart. <laughs> I was the one for this off because I immediately thought national, natural born killers. <laughs> technically, <laughs> there's, there's, some there's some tricks they pulled in there that are, that are opposite of what Kurosawa was doing in this one I thought was interesting. So anyway, that's it. So what, John, what's the film? You, you, you got to pick the film that you hadn't okay, seen Okay, so first of all, I want to explain why I picked this film. One of my uh, top five Westerns of all time is The Magnificent Seven. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. 1960, John Sturges starring Yul Brynner. Right, cool. um, and I knew I knew all about Seven Samurai. I, I just had never seen it. And I know it's a great film and everyone raves about it. And Yul Brynner wanted to make, uh, he, he said it was a Western. In fact, now as I dig into it, Kurosawa, oh, first of all, it's Seven Samurai, which is came out in 1954, directed by Akira Kurosawa. He wanted to make a Western and because he was a big John Ford fan. So he made his Western using Samurai. Shimada こそ死ぬかもしれんぞ。戦闘は It stars Takashi Shimura, Toshiro Mafumi. Yeah? Yeah. Toshiro Mafuni. Yeah. Mafuni. Arguably the biggest star to come out of Kurosawa's movies. And Seiji Miyaguchi, who played uh, the greatest swordsman. So I wanted to watch this movie. You played James Colburn, right? 
Yeah, played by James Coburn. Uh, right, he played the nice girl. I can already tell this episode is going to have a lot of Jap release, so let's everybody be respectful <laughs> of our poor pronunciation. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, I, so that's all I'm going to say with their names. Uh, I feel bad that I can't pronounce them correctly. But anyway, um, so I said, you know what? It was between this and Tommy. And hmm. I kind of thought that Tommy probably wasn't my kind of movie. Yes. And this was probably more in line with what I would enjoy. So that's why I picked it. Because I love the Magnificent Seven, it's so I wanted to see. Super old and it's black and white, so that's too. No, classes. it's not even that. It's because the my one of my favorite films is based on this, so I wanted to see, you know, why did they want to make this uh, into there are a lot of American films movie. based on this? Yes. Yeah, so let me let me go on. So go on. So, so for go those on. who don't know, so, and by the way, once I picked the movie, I then looked it up to see how long it was and realized it was it was three hours and twenty seven minutes. I did not know that going into it, but. I picked it and I'm going to stick with it. So it's a story about a village where uh, bandits come and rob them of all their crops and, and corn or rice um, and, and leave them with nothing. And they hire samurai to come in and protect the village. That's the same thing as a magnificent seven. But, but the movie I found really, first of all, it's absolutely gorgeous. The way it's filmed. It's just beautiful. The cinematography is fantastic. Every the way it opens Unlike the Magnificent Seven, where the bandits interact with the villagers, all you see is the bandits up on the top of the hill looking down at the village and say, we'll come back later when, when they have more rice. That's how it starts. And then it's through the process of um, they decide to go hire samurai, and it's that journey to find the seven samurai. And, and the lead is the, the main guy, Yul Brenner's part, is played by Takashi Shimura. Um, who, who's very, very authoritarian, very good in this movie. But, but the, but the, um, the guy who, who in the Magnificent Seven was Chico, who was, uh, Horace Buckholz, the young guy. They actually combined two characters for this one guy. And he was the standout in the movie. And he was created separately from the original script. So most of the stuff he did was improvised, which I did not know. And he was wonderful in this. He, he really, I think he stole it from everybody else. He was just so good in it. But there was a lot of interesting things in it that now that I've seen it, I understand the influence it has on Star Wars, on Quentin Tarantino, on any action movie when someone gets killed and they die in slow motion, all from this movie. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought that that final battle in the mud and rain was one of the most amazing things I've seen in an action movie. He used three cameras, uh, which was, you know, that was not the norm back then because he wanted to capture everything. And frankly, you see these actors in the middle of this stuff and you wonder how the hell they did it. I would love to see a real making of this movie. Because it was nasty, it was cold, it was muddy, it was rainy, but it was so effective. Um, that that final scene, and, and looking back, in fact, I, I just rewatched The Magnificent Seven, now that I've seen The Seven Samurai, to really compare it. And first of all, I can't believe how many scenes they took directly from Seven Samurai. It's incredible. Characters. Yeah. But not just characters, but scenes, yeah. like the, the wood chopping scene yeah. with Charles Bronson, you know, the knife scene with James Coburn. But I thought... That that last scene um, in the Magnificent Seven would have been a whole lot better in a rainstorm, I, I, based on what I saw with the Seventh Samurai. I really do. It was just it was just incredible. Now there was a few things I didn't like about it. Now, first of all, the running time 
I felt was too long. It's not like I was sitting there going, oh, God, what's going on with this movie? But I just thought there was stuff that didn't need to be in there. Now, I understand why he does it. He really wants to develop characters. The whole thing in putting the seven samurai together takes forever. So that's a slight complaint. But it didn't take me out of the movie. The other thing I hated, I hated the bald caps. They were awful on everybody. You could see the line on every single one of them. And other thing, and I don't know if this subtitled version is the original subtitled version, but it's set in 1586, and the, the subtitles were were, uh, were very contemporary, right. the language that was being used. I didn't get that. It kind of threw me off a little bit from the timeline that they were trying to project. So I don't know if that was the original subtitled version, or maybe this was when they remastered it, they changed it. But it seemed very odd, some of the um, stuff they were saying that you would say in present day. But really, those are my three only complaints. Look, there was one scene in it that I don't think had ever been done before where the, the uh, Shimu, I think her name was, she, she was pretending to be a boy and the young guy was wrestling with her and he, he literally grabs her breast and then realizes she's a woman. I don't think that had ever been done before in a movie where literally... Not a Hollywood movie. Yeah, not a Hollywood movie. So, so this was a very groundbreaking movie and I, I am really glad I watched it. In fact, to the point... Uh, that I, I haven't seen Ron. I haven't seen, uh, was it Rashomon? Is that what it's called? Rashomon. I have not seen that. And it's going to, I'm going to see them because they're all playing on TCM. I'd like to see them. Fascinating. They're all on HBO Max too. They are. And, and yeah. I'm looking forward to them because I, I really, I really love this movie. And, and again, I rewatched The Magnificent Seven and, and, uh, Kurosawa liked it so much. He gave, uh, John Sturges a samurai sword. He loved it. He said, look, I don't want to compare the two because that's not fair. But I love this Western. And I think one of the things that Sturgis did, he tightened it up a lot. There's no waste of time in that movie, really. And it, it went so much faster, obviously, than Seven Samurai. But but at a certain point, I, I think the tension builds when uh, they think they're going to be attacked. Once that part happens, that movie is like, it just flies and it's tense and the action is great. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Now, I would like to know, have any of you seen this movie before? Or the whole movie? Okay. So, okay. F Debbie, you hadn't seen it. Did I see this movie before? I don't think you were paying attention. I, I think I did, but I wasn't into it. Okay. The way, and, the way I was into it for the podcast. And see. Ralph, you hadn't seen it. No. I seen it. Okay, well then I'm I'm interested in what you guys think, and that's well, that's I'm you, I'm really glad I picked it. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad it. you did too, because I'll I'll say this: when we first started watching it, because it was I don't understand Japanese, and that's you know uh, I couldn't follow who the characters were in in it because of the slow moving. You know, you're reading and then you're looking at the right. so it lost its in transla translation, so it was slow. So slow that we went back at that point because I wanted to get, we watched it for an hour and I said, I'm losing the character because I don't understand the language. I wish I could know Japanese. Um, behind, there wasn't a uh, dub. Sayonara yeah. or uh, Nihau or whatever. Hike. Or hike. So I would go, uh, we went to Magnificent Seven and that solidified it. So when we're watching it, Sean would say, oh, here's uh, James Coburn's part right here. Oh, okay. Then I linked the two and I got the idea of what their character was all about. But it, there was so many of them, yeah. so many samurai and so many villagers 
But I love this film because it showed the true, you know, always it's the struggler. It's the struggle between the farmer and the fancy person. You know what I mean? The uh, samurai versus the, um, uh, the gunslingers, you know, hired hands. What did they call them in the Magnificent Seven? Um, You're talking about the villagers or the bandits? No, not the bandits, the good guys. The, not the samurai, but in the Magnificent Seven. There were gunmen. Gunmen. Hired, hired yeah, hired gunmen. gunmen. Yeah. Yeah, and that's always been, you know, like the village, uh, you know, the, what you're doing, bringing home the bacon every day, you know, the farmer, as opposed to, you know, somebody having a fancy job like political or artistic or, you know, police work or detective work. And, and you know what I'm saying? It's always like farmers are the salt of the earth. And that I love that theme, those two themes and one Eastern Western. You know, it was just, I just loved it. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, Debbie, I hope you don't mind me saying it. She had a hard, I think she had a hard time, because if you look at the Magnificent Seven, what an amazing cast. But we're Americans, mm -hmm. and we recognize all those people. Right. Yeah. And when they made that movie, you know, it was young in some of their careers, but they were all up-and-comers, except maybe the guy, the young guy. And, um, I mean, they were all on TV, they were all in movies. And if um, you know, you didn't. We didn't necessarily have that feeling going into uh, Seven Samurai, you know. Other than Mifumi, who was um, I always called. We have a congressman here, Mifumi. Um, but other than you know, we don't know who all those characters were. In this film, people were instantly identifiable who they were, and you had an idea of what they were going to do. But I think Debbie just one problem she had with the film was those you know bald caps. She just didn't think it, you know, it, it wasn't macho. You know, one thing about Magnificent Seven, it's a very much a macho film. You yeah. know, it's like it's like guys, right. and they're like guys, and they're working together, but they're also competing. And apparently in real life in um, Magnificent Seven, Steve McQueen, you know, Yul Brenner was, was the quote-unquote star, but he was very upset about Steve McQueen. Well, we've talked about how Steve McQueen was upstaging him with some of the stuff he's doing. Behind yeah, Yul Brenner, while well, Yul Brenner, but are those okay? Brenner this is going to sound. I'm going to sound stupid. To watch Steve McQueen, so when he wasn't looking at him to say whether Steve McQueen was doing stuff. Yeah, I'm going to sound ignorant. Were those skull caps or were those part of shape? a part of a uniform? Were those actually no. No, trying those to be skull fake, caps. like they're those, fake bald? Yes. Oh. No, I, I thought they, that at first. I was like a little actually. Bald. But isn't there culture? Uh, I yeah, mean, I don't Japanese culture. Isn't that uh, considered part of the ritual when they shave their heads. It's a sign of intelligence and strength and ability, I think, is what I you're trying to say. say. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, but see, you know, because look at when he shaved his um, thing off. Everyone was shocked. You, you know, shaved your he, thing off? Well, thing no, off. but okay, but back up. I really, I want to know this. Because I, I was I distracted was by that. Those were skull caps. I was distracted. I thought they were, but then I, I kind of rolled into it and said, "No, that must be part no. of a, a cultural thing." But no, that that was just bad. You see, yeah, that the was the hairstyle of that era. But it was just I found it distracting. Every well, time it was a, a little bit, but I they were I got the into Beatles it. of their time, you say? No. So to yeah. me, it was obviously they were obviously trying to represent a class. I heard right. It. We they, heard it. People of different classes, but he won't class stop. structure. <laughs> um, were, um, you know, had different kind of hair, which I'm sure is consistent with cultures all around. 
the world. I know if you cut off a samurai's ponytail, that's disgraceful. I know that in their culture. And which is what he did at the beginning to rescue the child, which showed what right. a great guy he was. Right. And I'll say, you know, it's kind of funny. So we did, we did stop and we watched Magnificent Seven. Now, I will say, you know, I really liked the score of Seven Samurai. That theme was, you know, very memorable. But you got to say one thing. That is probably Magnificent Seven. Elmer Bernstein's score is probably one of the best Western scores ever. Sure. Yeah. That yeah. is an amazing score. And, you know, before we could continue Seven Samurai, because we were watching on HBO Max, our cable went out for two days. Ah. So we couldn't. So we were on the Blu-ray. So what did we watch next was um, Great Escape, yeah. which is also directed uh, by Sturgis. Well, yeah. Also star Steve McQueen and a couple other guys right, from right. Samurai. Get back, on, get back on this one. Wait a sec. Because you, know, yeah. you haven't even no, mentioned. No, but I'm just saying, yeah, you know, it's very much. You haven't even mentioned yeah. Denzel Washington's Magnificent Seven. Everybody's yeah, talking well, that, about that oh, old God. one. Oh, God. It wasn't very good. But I, I don't know. It, I, okay. I don't think right. it sucked. No, I, I it was well, good. I, I wouldn't say it sucked, but I just think there was very good. I mean, if it wasn't, it's funny. If it wasn't a remake of The Magnificent Seven, Fair it would it be probably one would have been of the, it would have been one of the dozens or hundreds of movies that have been made since 1954 that are inspired by yeah, it. It's yeah. just, it's like, like the Taking of Pelham One Two Three remake. It wasn't a good movie. It doesn't matter that it was, um, you know, remake or not. But the Magnificent Seven remake, I felt like this is just a fun western, and it had a fun cast. And Ethan, and Ethan it can't Hunt be was Yul great Brenner's movie. Ethan, yeah, Ethan Hunt was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me get back. Let me get back to this movie. Oh. Which you one? know, you're done. well, now, now I am not done, but I am going to continue to compare it to the American version because I think uh, that um, Sturgis made some mistakes that Kurosawa avoided. To me, the worst thing about Magnificent Seven is the big gloom where a villager betrays them. And it's been, I haven't seen this film, uh, Seven Samurai, probably in 15 years. So I couldn't remember if that happened. Because in The Magnificent Seven, one of the villagers betrays them to the bandits. And when they come back after their intended raid, they discover that, you know, the, you know, they're prisoners. And Eli Wallach, who plays the head of the bandits in the American version, lets them go and gives them their guns back, yeah. which is crazy. It doesn't really make any sense. So fortunately, there is, and to me, that, that's kind of the flaw of Magnificent Seven. Now, what I love about this film is once the, you know, that doesn't happen. There's nothing hokey like that. It wasn't building to like a big conclusion of the second act. You know, it wasn't going for like traditional Hollywood structure. No, the once the battle were, began, the bandits it were faceless too. We had no, we had no bandit that we were looking at as the big bad bandit. No. It was just a, was just a horde of well, bandits they, coming. Well, there well, was one, but it was kind of scary. Yeah. Well, they, they had, well, that I, one I thought it was guy, a good choice. One, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a good choice because we spent a lot of time getting to know the characters and right. I didn't feel like I wanted to spend as much time getting to know 40 bandits, right. but the leader who you really only see in a few moments in the movie, they're such critical moments. Like you see, he has that distinct helmet. So you right. always know who you're looking at yeah. when he uh, kills his own guy. 
Yeah. Um, after they get run off from the horses by Toshiro Mifune. And then at the end, when he shoots Toshiro Mifune and is the last casualty, like I, I found him to be memorable, but I didn't need to know his right. backstory. And I thought that was actually kind of incredible writing that yeah. you yeah. don't make me have to know everybody on both sides. I, I have so much to explore and identify with, with our heroes and with these farmers and they're all feel so real. And I thought well, that, you know, it was, it was great. One mistake I think that Akira Kurosawa did was the, um, well, he's the second guy that gets killed, second of the samurai, gets killed off camera. You know, they're just bringing right. him back That's in. That's the uh, axe, was, the chop, the wood chopping guy. Yeah. And this great line, it's like you brought him because you thought he'd be fun to have around when things right. were tough. Now we're not going to have him. You know, he's dead, gone, and he's not even tough. But I tell you, the James Colburn role, the, this, the, like the expert samurai, he, you know, Colburn was so cool and Magnificent Seven. And this guy was equally cool, if not cooler, you know, going out and getting the musket, you know, and, um, you know, that duel at the beginning where he kills the guy, didn't want to fight him. You know, I mean, I thought, you know, yeah. that was definitely, you know, really, I love the chief guy, you know, the, the main guy. I mean, they really, you know, it's a disadvantage that it's in Japanese, takes a little while longer to get to know the characters. You know, which is why I'm glad the film is, you know, the film could have been an hour shorter. But I like, like John, I'm not upset that it was this long. It did take us a couple nights, but um, it was just, you know, the characters were really <laughs> strong. And those that died, when they died, you really felt bad, particularly at the end. It's so, you, you know, um, he gets shot, you know, he's the most lively character and he gets shot with the musket at the end. You know, you really, and it's the end, you know, it's the end. So you feel really bad. You know, and yeah. it's it's interesting the ending too. You know, you have the young guy who is <coughs> kind of a wimp because when the girl's father starts beating, let me just explain to the audience who hasn't seen the film. There's a girl who becomes fascinated with the young, who's obviously rich too, because he's very well dressed. The young man who's like the first follower, to, he's 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 very well dressed, and when the villagers run, you know, their rice is stolen, they have nothing to pay him. He gives them money, you know, and it's like, don't let anyone know. So he's obviously a higher class than the other people. And he and he reluctantly falls for this girl. And, you know, the night before they're going to have the climactic battle and they could all die, you know, you know, she, he makes love to the girl. You know, I mean, she kind of, you know, she wants him more than he wants her. But still, you know, you know. They, and then the father finds the girl and starts beating her, and he just sort of stands off on the side, ashamed, you know. And in The Magnificent Seven, there's a similar situation with, without the actual sex. And um, the the young man stays in the village. But in this movie, well, one thing, that's the sentimental Hollywood love ending. But in this film, just as a matter of Japanese, the caste system in Japan, you just, and the fact that this guy is committed himself to the life of the samurai, that just would never happen, you know. That that guy was not going to stay in that village with that girl. And to me, what's interesting at the end is the girl goes out to plant the rice with the other women, and she just kind of runs by him. She goes into they're, they're all singing a work song. She starts happily singing it. You, you get the sense that, okay, this happened, but she's going to be fine, you know, and he's going to be fine. And I also love at the end, you know, where the cemetery, where they bury everybody. And um, it's on top of a hill. 
when one of the samurais died, they put a mound there and they stick their sword in. You know, and at the end when they're standing there and they're looking up at the hill and they're just, you know, okay, I'm giving something away. Four mounds and with the swords in. And I think that's a very strong and very arresting visual for the film. While the while the workers are just doing their what they have to do. The farmers are just farming. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, and, and, these guys were here. They're gone. Goodbye. Yep. And yeah. as the, as the main guy said, they got the victory. We didn't. We yeah, move we, on. They go. We on. lose. Listen, as a first time viewer, I walked in knowing that I'm going to see a beautiful film, right? Cinematography is going to be gorgeous. What I didn't expect to see was humor. Yeah. And, a lot of it and, uh, drama. And I recognized. Every one of those people, as they were being introduced, each one of them had their own slight little quirk so you could figure out what was, you know, who was who. And yeah, the cinematography is unbelievably beautiful. Like every frame, you just grab a still and you get a beautiful picture. The scenes with the lovers and the flowers and, and you're talking about the mound scenes and some of those horses going across the screen, just beautiful. But I couldn't get over the humor. Yeah. And you talk about the farmers and their food, that running joke about how farmers uh, have extra food that they don't tell these guys about. They're star, everybody's starving, but they know, I think the main guy or, uh, what's his name? I'm going to say it wrong. Tashiro Mafuni is like, these guys are scams. They're good. They have food. They have extra food. And weapons. Out they did. And weapons they had. And weapons. And I just yeah. found, I found that humor to be for a film this old and for what he was doing and trying to get across Japanese culture. The humor was right there. It was beautiful. And I thought it was, I thought it was lovely. And um, yes, it's a long film and none of the, some of those scenes would never make it in an American film where people just want things to go like that. But he's trying to show a culture, a cast culture, you know, and, 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 and Tershino Murafuni started as a farmer, ended up as a samurai, which those guys don't normally cross cultural like that so his character yeah. was was a fascinating one plus the energy on that guy was yeah. insane yeah i can see why he was a why he was so famous and why this movie really i don't know if this is the one that put him on the map in the united states but it was a, it was a tour de force yeah um, and i love how he steals that family tree or bought it and he's showing it to him to prove that he's a samurai class because yeah, all the things he did years. and then like, they said well According, are you this person? Yes. Well, according to this, you're 13 years old. Right. Which is, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't. You wouldn't know what year. The I film loved was. his attitude, and I really yeah. loved the one guy who played like the strong, silent one. Yeah. Like I, like I, he was the one that they saw getting in the fight at the beginning. Yeah. And eventually, Cuso. he joined the, the joined yeah. the club. What's that? Yeah. Q, his name is Cuso. Okay. I just loved his strong, silent thing that he was doing. And he ends up getting killed, I think. He gets shot. The musket was a surprise. All of them. Too. All of them died by shots. By None gunshot. Died huh? by a sword. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, well, as that's... a first time viewer, I just thought it was fascinating. The, the, the technology, the technique he did to shoot that last scene you were talking about with yeah. the multi cameras and, and zoom lenses and trying to, because it's so chaotic, they don't want to have to retake it over and over and over. Um, and, and the, the stuff those guys had to go through. The other thing that struck me is, and this is the first time I've really thought about this by what is, is how many horses must have been brutalized and stuff in these wars. I mean, this one really made me feel, especially with swords going all over the place. Yeah. That the horses, we never talk about the horses in these films, 
But that must have been horrible what was going on with yep. that. Anyway, that's just a side. Well, note. also, too, what, think about why he couldn't reshoot this not, rather than just trying to capture things. Even if, you know, the swords are all, you know, blunt, you know, there are still people with those bamboo stalks. People are running at each other. Yeah. They're stabbing toward in the direction yeah. of the people. And it would, and, and you're in mud and rain. It is so easy yeah, the, the, it wasn't some, a, for someone to be hurt. The yeah. animals, too. That's what yeah, I was thinking. That's what I'm saying. Legs must have been breaking all the time. I don't know. But the, the it wasn't a gory film, but it was a no. brutal film. The deaths were meaningful as yeah. people are, are getting stabbed in the mud and they're trying to get up over it. Nothing was glorified. There was no death glorified. You know, they died in the mud. They died, you know, doing... But they never showed, like, blood. Even that first, when the swordsman cuts that guy at the little duel at the beginning. They don't. They well, barely, you don't even see it. He just turns his but back also, to the camera and dies. So. The other thing I'll just... This will be the last thing I'll say. I love the idea that retreating is as good as winning. Because if you retreat, you live. The whole idea is to right. live. So if you yeah. retreat and you're alive, you've done a good thing. Right. It's not like you're a coward, except right. the... You know, the bad guys, the bandits, were killing each other for escaping. The samurai are like, no, if you escape, if you retreat, you're alive. That's a good thing. Anyway, I just thought And Monty Python used that to great effect. Run away, run away. I also want to say one thing. You're talking about beautiful scenes, like the the lovers and the flowers. But like when they're in that hut and and the light is that fire. The fire is big. That fire, like the reflection of the fire through the thing on them. I mean, that was to me. That was amazing. That was it's really beautiful. fabulous. The, between him and the director and the cinematographer, they pulled it off. So, all right, Chris, you've been quietly listening. Yeah, well, I wanted. to – I mean, I I've seen this movie a couple of times, and um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Kurosawa is a huge fan of the American western. He liked the the movies of William S. Hart from way back in the silent days. Um, and, and in fact, in a lot of his films, believe it or not, weren't huge successes in Japan because some Japanese people felt they were too Western, um, in their sensibilities, which is kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, this movie's amazing. I mean, what, just rewatching it, one of the things that really just, it's a, it's a kind of a smaller scene, but it just, just from a technical perspective, it's something you probably had never seen in 1954. There's the scene where the, the, one of the farmers goes to the, his, his daughter, right? Uh, you know, the beautiful girl of the village who he makes her cut his hair and he chases her outside, you know? Um, and it literally goes from inside their, their little, you know, house or whatever through the window outside down the hill and it just follows them. And I'm just like, you know, you're watching that because, you know, I'd seen the film. So I, I knew where it was going, but like, you notice those little things that are just amazing. And the, one of the things that I've kind of forgotten and I'm not sure how, but was such an absolute great, um, you talk about taking the time to build something. There's the one farmer who's kind of a younger, the angry farmer, kind of the younger, angry farmer. Um, the one whose wife was abducted. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you, when they had, when they kind of go on the offensive and they burn that little quote unquote, you know, their home or whatever. And you see all these women in there that have obviously been, um, kidnapped and you know, repeatedly <laughs> assaulted. And when she comes out and she sees her own husband and runs back in there and then, you know, later on he says it was my wife, right? Because the other guys are like, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you going so crazy? But you know, you know, at that moment when he sees her and she sees him and she runs back. 
that's such a great moment. It's so powerful because they, <coughs> they've taken the time to build that character out a little bit. Well, that, and, that know, whole scene where she's deciding, I'm going to stay here and burn alive. Yeah. I think because of her shame. I think. Yeah, yes. That's why. Yes, right. exactly because of her and shame. And that's a very, that's no words, no subtitles. It's just her no. face. Mm -hmm. And you're watching all this stuff run. Well, didn't she smile just a little bit too? Because it looked like she was, you know, she was thinking about warning everybody. And then yeah, they showed the they showed everyone sleeping and stuff, and she kind of smiled a little bit and stayed. And right she's like, you know what? I'm just going to let this happen yeah. because all the people in here are either yeah terrible weight away or they're terrible people. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, this this movie's obviously incredible, and it's funny too. Like the whole sequence when. Um, you know, the guy who's the ultimate swordsman, right? The samurai who's who's super cool and everything. And he gets shot, you know? Um, it, it's one of those things where, he's, you know, it's significant that they set this movie right before 1600, right? Because uh, it's not long after this that um, the Tokugawa era be begins, the, the warring states happen, and, you know, everything is, you know, a guy named Tokugawa Iase, you know, he's, he unifies, he becomes Shogun and unifies the country. And he literally got rid of all the guns, partially because the idea was that a musket can, you can take a, a farmer and train him for 30 minutes and he can kill a samurai who's totally decked out in armor. And they just didn't like that. So one of the, it was a, another way to keep control. But, um, so that, the, I always felt that sequence to be kind of, you know, powerful in this idea is here's a guy who's, completely dedicated his soul to being, you know, to Bushido, to being this great samurai. And he's just shot in the back, we assume, yeah. or something out of nowhere. And it's like this cowardly thing that happens. No honor. That's yeah. what really made me mad the first time I saw the film was yeah. that, so I knew it was coming. Chris, if you've seen this so many times, are those the subtitles that you've seen every time with I, that know, contemporary it, language? I, I believe so. When I say so many times, I mean, I've, I've, this was maybe my third time seeing it, right? So, and the first time I saw it was, you know, back in the 90s. And so I think I've seen it maybe once in between then and now, um, because it is an investment. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's real. It's yeah, an, definitely. It's a time is. investment, but it's one worth, well worth, uh, taking because it's, it's like you said, it's gorgeous. When you finally, when you get to that final sequence in the rain, it's just, it's it's unbelievable you know it's it's really terrific um you, you know kurosawa went on to make another and you know you talk about all the danger what looks like it's so dangerous and they're shooting all these different things um another film that he did he did a number of films that were um adaptations of shakespearean plays um he did one called throne of blood where toshiro mafune basically plays macbeth and there's a sequence where you know they're finally you know, they're finally killing Macbeth and he's shooting arrows at him and all these arrows are hitting, hitting it like, you know, close to Mifune, like a foot away. He just had guys really shooting honest to God arrows at him, you know? And so like, and it's, and, you know, they're not super close. It's not like, you know, grazing his hair or anything, but it's, it's close enough that, you know, you're, you, you the fear on Mifune's face is probably just, it's probably acting, but a lot of it's probably like, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. It's kind of crazy. God, but why. yeah, there was a lot of stuff they did that obviously, you know, if somebody makes a mistake or steps the wrong way, they're going to get, uh, they can get seriously hurt. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies where in the mid fifties and in the sixties, you know, people started recognizing this as, you know, one of the 10 great movies of all time, I think. Um, 
And I think it's, uh, I think it deserves that reputation. And like, and like, you know, Sean was saying and, and Debbie were saying, like, it is fun because I love the Magnificent Seven. I mean, it's a fantastic movie. Um, I would say the one thing that the Magnificent Seven really has is Eli Wallach. That this I movie, was going to say that too. Yeah. yeah, anything with Eli Wallach is yeah. But um, you know, giving that character, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, giving him some more color, some more flavor. Anyway, uh, but yeah, it's great. It's beautiful, um, and it's got a couple of really just absolutely wrenching um, emotional scenes. Like I love that scene. You know, you mentioned of the of the two young people in the flowers. You know the the young girl who's like you know you know maintaining one's you know honor and chastity and everything that's a big deal especially in medieval or what you might call you know in this period of japan and um yeah i just it just it was so desperate what she was saying about she just wants something now you know yeah just so such a great performance um yeah just there's not much. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I could go on for 20 more minutes about how amazing, how much I love this film and how amazing it is. But I'll let somebody All else right. say something. Let Drew. Let Drew go on then. Yeah, Drew. I've handed well, you. I um, I have seen this movie before. Um, I think in college, definitely not the full three hours. So first, I want to say thank you, John, for picking this because I might as well not have seen it. And uh, it's really, it's just a remarkable movie. And, you know, samurai films, they're, they're their own genre, like Westerns. And there's different ones with different tones and different goals. And, you know, Kurosawa is one of the people that really invented that, frankly, and certainly made them worth watching internationally. I mean, like, this movie is great. And, uh, The Twilight Samurai with Hiroyuki Sonata, that's already 20 years old. That's, that's an, a, like a meditative samurai movie. There's all these different ways to do it. I won't even apologize for liking that Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the movie wasn't too long for me. Um, if there's generally a longer version, like an original version that gets cut down, I tend to seek that out. Like John Woo's Red Cliff is, is a movie, but then it's also Red Cliff part one and part two. And it's like four hours and it's worth every minute because of all the character stuff. And that's clearly what, you know, would have been cut down in the shorter version of this movie. And, you know, I think. You know, Chris pointing out that history is really important because this is the, I think it's been a Sengoku period before the unification. Mm -hmm. And so this whole movie is about the class system, which um, is very strict. It it reminded me, I've never seen Kurosawa's movie he made before this, Ikiru, which also starred um, Shimura. Uh, as a, a guy who's basically a Japanese salary man who spends his whole life working and then he realizes he's not going to leave anything with his life. So he devotes himself to building a playground for children. And, you know, that's the same strict class system that you see in this movie 500 years earlier. And I think what's exciting about this movie in, in that sense is that it's about people who step out of it. It's about people who transcend it or even just think about transcending it. I cannot remember his name, the young samurai who um, uh, falls in love with Shino. Saying falls in love is generous, but he falls in love with the girl from the village, and you know they're doomed, and you know that it's not going to happen because she can't possibly leave the village, and he's not brave enough to transcend it. But Toshiro Mifuni's a whole character. You know, Kikuchiyo's whole character is I used to be a farmer now I'm a samurai I'm a samurai because I say I'm a samurai because I have arrogance because I have all these things and he pays the price for that 
but it's a death that's worth dying and not even in some like, um, you know, like warrior code way. Like you sometimes have to step out of the way society is stepped up, is set up to do the right thing <clears throat> to protect the innocent because you have the ability to do that. Even when the innocent turn out not to be that innocent, like these farmers have armor from samurai they've killed. Like you said earlier, they, they do have stashes of, you know, sake and, and food and stuff like that. And I, I just, I found it so absorbing. I didn't find it too long at all. I found, uh, all the character stuff, you know, some of the farmers, they seem kind of clowny at the beginning right. and then you get to know them and now you know them and now you have time to get to know the samurai as they build that team. And so I didn't feel like it was too much to keep track of, or I couldn't tell any, any, you know, farmers apart from each other or anything like that. It was really satisfying. And it reminded me of, um, two movies that I love, one of which I probably should apologize for loving, but, um, one of them is an all time modern samurai movie by Takashi Miike called 13 assassins. <laughs> and, uh, it's a fantastic samurai movie action movie. Takashi Miike's made like a hundred and I don't at this point, probably 120 movies or something. And this is definitely one of his best. And it's the same kind of thing, assembling a team to fight a great evil, much bigger scale evil. But the end of the movie is basically like a 40 minute fight as 13 assassins face off against, I don't know, a hundred samurai or something. And it's in the mud and it's exhausting and it feels real. And I like a fight that feels real that feels like real people are doing it that's one of the things i think part of why they shave their heads is so that they wouldn't overheat when they're swinging swords around under you know, heavy armor and helmets and stuff but there's so many uh movies that have action scenes where people you know even like i love rocky movies but you can't punch each other like that for 15 rounds i mean it's ridiculous yeah, you're done. but i think um you know like the living daylights or mission impossible fallout like, even modern movies they have fights where it looks like real people getting tired and bleeding and stuff. And this movie wasn't gory, but it really felt like that. And then of course we also talked about all these movies that are modeled after it and are like it. And this is the one I should probably apologize for. I love the 13th warrior. It is a deeply, <laughs> deeply flawed film, but it's basically about assembling a team of people, including some um, ones you wouldn't expect, which is basically Antonio Banderas's character to go and defend um, a desolate place from an evil. And it has at the end, it has two endings, which is a problem, but it has at the end a big battle in the rain with people fighting to the point of exhaustion. Like the, it's just all the stuff in this movie is just so resonant with everything. They've been making versions of this movie and inspiration from this movie for decades. I mean, even I, things like Road Warrior and say Mad Max Fury Road, Road the idea of these outsiders oh God, helping. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an amazing movie. So John, thank you very much for yeah. picking it. I really enjoyed oh, you know, visiting it. Like it. Okay, I, I have a one thing. My favorite scene in the movie is when uh, they were showing desperate, you know, they were desperate for food and the one um, farmer, he drops the rice and he's picking up like what seems each, to be like each grain. Yeah. Right. That hit it, you know, that was like, that was just so poignant for me to show the depiction of how bad things can be for farmers, you know? Well, and the idea that farmers are always getting screwed. I mean, that's yeah. really yeah. what the, you know, they're going to, and they actually flooded out there, you know, they got the, they did the right. harvest and they got to flood it out so right. they can protect themselves. And so, abandoned three houses on the but other side. But at the side. end, they're all dancing to the work song, like you said, in right. unison. 
the, the, yeah. all the people are putting the stuff in at the same, you know. And the same regular rice there now. Life goes you... on. It just keeps going and going. I would I mean, say this. The story is about the farmers fighting back. They just, right. they don't fight directly against the warriors because they right. don't have horsemen. They're right. never going to be able to ride a horse. They're never going to be able to do right. that. Because they're and, stuck you know, in that, they, that cast. But they figure, they figure out how to, again, transcend that cast, transcend that way. We, we live in a, in this country and in our history, we have a very strict class system, but we pretend it's not there. And there are a lot of cultures, like many eras into the modern era of Japan or in India or various places where it's very clear, this is what you do and this is what you don't do. Yeah. And this movie is about, I mean, like farmers hiring warriors and paying them with food. It's like, it's laughable to them. And, and barely paying they them did it. food. And barely paying them, yet so, they yeah. did it. And yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, um, Drew, I got to sorry, congratulate you. Cause I never thought until you just mentioned 13th warrior, that's essentially the same movie. A lot of it. Sure. You know, as this, and I got to say, you know, I like that movie too. And it does have its problems, but I find myself doing that quote all the time when they're about to die. And they say, you know, below I see my father and yep. his father before him and my mothers and fathers. And they call me to come join them, you know, and you know, I find myself saying that all the time. Whenever I drive past my father's cemetery, huh. my wife. Yeah, that's that's one thing that one thing that Thirteenth Warrior has that is definitely better than this movie is it has Jerry Goldsmith's score, which is incredible. And there is not that doesn't exist in Seven Samurai. That's one piece of the movie. I didn't feel like it's missing it. The movie is less than, but there was no stirring music because I think he made an interesting choice that I'm gonna basically show people fight for half an hour desperately in the mud and in the dirt and all these things and we're not gonna score it and that's I did like the music that was in there though yeah no it was it was well, fine and, but it and, wasn't like big stirring themes and stuff I was I not expecting to be affected by any of the deaths and I was that's you very know, moving. how can you not be it took they're they're building up their characters for two I know and a half but I hours. just it, it started to well. I'm saying at the beginning because it started very cartoony in a way, like Drew was saying about some of the villagers came off as a little bit caricatures. They were screaming all their lines, and they're being very, you know, very. Well, uh, they're very afraid. They're very right. afraid. They're afraid of everything. But we and know later, they're not stop that crying. afraid. Stop crying! They always do. Stop crying! And yeah, um, yeah. So I didn't think I would fall like get into it, and then by the end, especially right. when that one the swordsman we're talking about. The strong silent guy, when he gets shot and killed, that was that was brutal. I yeah, was touched. Movie. I was touched. And then I didn't want to see the other guy who got shot in the stomach, but you know, I knew he was going. I knew he was gonna go. And uh I was I was not able to compare this to the Magnificent Seven, because I forget what that film, you know, I know what it's about, but I don't remember exactly. So maybe I'll Seven go and rewatch that and I'll be able to, you know, yeah. put two and two. Well, I was going to oh, say, wow. I was going to say for our audience, even more. for you our audience who more. should subscribe or share it or like it, I would say this too. If you don't like foreign films and you're a fan of the Magnificent Seven, you, sh you should check out this movie. Um, I think if you like the Magnificent Seven, you'll like this movie because it's what led to the Magnificent Seven. It's a different movie. It's longer. And again, I keep going back to the subtitles. I assume that's American subtitles. Some American did those subtitles because it just doesn't make any sense to me. But but the movie is a beautiful movie. And again, if you like if you like um, the Magnificent Seven, I think you'll like this movie a lot. So check it out. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's the. 
but it's some people don't like birth the, of, I mean, it's the no, DNA no. is all over all these films. Right. It's right there. Absolutely. This, Go, you track movie, it right back to this film. This movie, as well as the Magnificent Seven, shows the nobility of the farmer. You know, the, the great intelligence that they have. You know, they have to know when to plant the uh, food. They have to know when to harvest. They, you know, our agriculture here in this country has gone, ooh, really, you know, how they grow food now, it's amazing. But they really need, to, you have to really be smart to, to figure these growing seasons. I, I don't know. I think the most I don't know that I, I don't know that I agree with that because I, one of the things that I liked about the movie is I felt like it didn't really, like, put anybody on a pedestal. There's no people who are only noble warriors. There's no innocent farmers. Like, they all feel very real. Even, like, their leader, Shimada, is, I mean, how can you not respect him? But you know, he's seen some shit. Right. And he's definitely done some things. There's a whole history in this man's face and in the performance. Right. It's amazing. And oh, I forgot the, him. There, yeah, and there are, there are, farmers with the same history like you know when when we like as you said before when we see um the wife come out of the burning uh hideout or lair or whatever you want to call it we all know who that is before the rest of the characters find out but i mean i knew that that guy's pain was awful before we saw that we didn't know what happened but you know these were these were all people that they they didn't all the farmers didn't get along they weren't like some great team and they were all buds this wasn't some like at the end of it, we're all Ted Lasso or something. I mean, these people were, were real and, and ugly and unkind and also noble and amazing. And I just, I thought it was, so, it's so much more human and real and modern than you would expect, That's, which I is another agree. reason modern. I think people should give the movie a chance. Well, I think modern. that the most, it's interesting that the most cartoony, you know, at the beginning of the farmers, the guy who always had his mouth open and all turns mm-hmm. out to be one of the leaders of the, um, Mm-hmm. You know, a warrior, you know, I mean, well, they kept like, throwing that one guy in with the unibrow. I don't, I don't quite know what his the guy that was jumping around a lot. That was an odd one, wasn't it? He yeah, didn't that look- was a little bit like you're talking about the guy that was bullying them when yes, they were. That, that, yeah, that, that, yeah, he was he was like, a, I'm, I'm sure here's the thing. I'm sure he has some story right where he and his friend have that giant, uh, uh, huge mute giant. And I don't know what. What's going on there? But they have a history. Everybody has it. When they're watching Samurai walk back and forth down the street. And I mean, like you see, you see, you see characters because you don't know who they're going to pick, but you're like, right. I wonder what they're thinking when they see. It. I mean, when they see, when they see Toshiro Mifuni walking down the street, he seems arrogant. He has the longest sword in the whole movie. That's not very subtle. And he, uh, he is this, this character that you, meet him and he's what you think and then he's so much more and any of those people walking down the street could have been the same they might not have been the right <laughs> ones for the team they might not have won their battle but it's just it's incredibly vivid i did not remember feeling that way about it yeah i also like the tick of the main guy he'd rub his head all the time whenever something mm-hmm. complicated came up he'd rub that history yeah yeah it was nice anyway all right, also well, too, i just want to say another improvement over magnificent seven for this film well it's not an improvement over because this one came first first is that although there are like 40 gunmen in Magnificent Seven, you don't get any sense of the numbers. Yeah. And, but I oh, like that. Yeah, I the like, checklist oh, when he was checking oh, them off. Yeah, that was pretty cool. A di- diagram of yeah. flag where they crossed out the... No, in this movie. Well, no, the flag was the same. They, they, they had the circles and they had yeah. them crossed out. And although we didn't know the bandits, we knew what the odds were. Right. right. And like the, the second day of yeah. the battle, it's sort of like, well, we got seven of them. But they had lost three people. Well, then the swordsman, I got two of them. Yeah. Right. You know, we lost seven, but at a hard But then the bandits, 
the bandits turn out to be as desperate because at a right. certain point there's 13 of them left and this is a village that's fortified and full of people right. with spears and what are you doing but they also have nothing they're starving so they're yeah. just going to keep committed to their you know evil ugly path and they all pay for it well and i'm going to bring up the magnificent seven remake with denzel because i was reminded of it as i'm watching this and that one the big reveal was a gatlin gun yeah, I did that. That's, they were I using against that. the village, and it's the same as the musket. The musket became such a big surprise for me that that was even an issue. Yep. That I think that they carried that in that one as well. And I think you should Look, check. I mean, the Gatling gun was the Gatling gun was at the end of the Last Samurai. It was the thing that said, "Oh, you're not going to survive the modern era. It doesn't matter how yeah. noble you are, how good you are with a sword. It's it's over." And right. the Western, you could watch a, a movie like The Magnificent Seven and say this is one of the the end of the Western era type of things. If you look at the, I mean, a machine gun, give me a break. What are you supposed to do with that? Well, if you're really going to look at that and see it done well, it's the end of the wild bunch. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, you know. absolutely. No. All right. Let's rate this. I don't think, I think we all know, right? I mean, it's everybody seems up on this one, right? All yippee ki yay. Yippee ki yay. I don't know why I'm putting thumbs up. Yeah. When I, I say, well, yippee ki yay. We do that. All right. So, Good job, John. I think uh, I was the only one that hadn't seen it, so I'm glad I saw it. So that's a good thing. Drew, we don't need to spin. You got the next one. So I don't know if you, you already want, know. Or if you're gonna, you want me to pick a movie that I haven't seen to bring to the podcast? That Correct. is the point. Yep. You all have Netflix? Yes. yes. Right now. All right. Then we're going to watch a movie that is one of the biggest movies in the world. It's supposed to be deliriously entertaining. I have never seen it. I am so excited. It's one of the biggest box office hits uh, in India. Wait, and around do we need the a world. drum roll? It's oh, called, another R- one you're going to R- say. R- J or whatever it's, it's called. RRR. Yeah, I want Rise to see it. I'm glad you did that. Supposed, it's supposed to be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know if we'll like it or not, but I am super excited. So yeah. next week we will talk about RRR. Has I, anyone I'm glad. seen it? I have That's not. I was dying to see it, and I just kept yeah. putting it off, putting it off. Now we're forced friend, to do it, so let's do it. My my friend last weekend, we ended up not having the time to do it because it's, sorry, three hours, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but um, but he, he said, oh, I really want to watch that movie. And I said, I want to watch that movie, too, but can we wait a week? Because I'm going to bring it to the show, and I don't want to go early. So. And oh, this one good. is definitely not black and white. There's lots no. of color oh, yeah. in this one. And, so. and I, I will say, just watch the movie. Don't read anything about it. Don't yeah. watch any trailers. Don't, if you've already watched trailers, that's enough. Like, just, right. just watch the movie. And I'm not saying that because I know what you're going to find. I'm saying that because people seem to think this is such a crazy special movie. You should just experience it. Yeah. And I'm all very I saw was that they, they do a dance number in a village that just is like, what the? is going on yeah i mean it's so, just it looks nuts in yeah. a fun fun oh, way so right, plus well, we'll one. have a lot to learn about indian class system so it'll be another half of this conversation r r r and and colonialism everybody's okay, favorite well, let's so. go yeah all right um speaking of the queen by the way um all right everybody have a good safe week long live the king jean-luc godard that's who i'm that's that's yeah that's yeah, jean-luc godard Jean-Luc, I wish I liked your movies better. I'm going to give you a second try. <laughs> there you go. All right, everybody. Have a good, safe Merci. week. Uh, look forward to another three-hour film. Yep. And uh, everybody stay I think safe. It's all, I, I think it's only three hours and seven minutes, so it's a lot shorter. Okay, <laughs> Remember, as Godard said, film is truth at three hours and seven minutes. <laughs> all right, everybody. Stay safe. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.